Thank you for joining us with God's people today. We are glad you are here at Wilshire. And if you're visiting, you've come to a good place. And we will prove that in a very practical way after this worship service, if you will let us. Back in our fellowship center, we will have carbohydrates that you can have for free, along with coffee. So let us, uh, I hope you will stay around if you're visiting. Let us get to know you and share some of our caffeine and carbohydrates. I am an immigrant. And if you're a Christian, so are you. I mean, I was born in Oklahoma. This is my native state. I was born in America, raised in America. This is my native land. And yet, if the Bible is right, I'm a foreigner here. It's real interesting. In the law of Moses, God tells the Israelites, don't ever mistreat immigrants because you know what it's like. And it's a really important because you were, you were foreigners in Egypt. You know what that's like. And it's really interesting how strong that theme is through the whole Bible. That if you're God's people living in this fallen world, your experience is always a little bit like foreigners living in a strange land. Because this world has fallen into sin. And although it's got lots of God's blessings still showing through, everywhere we turn we're kind of confronted by the problems that sin presents. We look at how people entertain themselves. We see the way that sin corrupts what could be a very good thing. If we look at the way politics works, we see how what could be doing justice and righteousness also gets tainted by selfishness and greed and pride and hatred. But look at how marriage works. We see sin creeping in. And even when we look in our own heads and we want to do what's right, and we do, I do, you do, even in our own heads, being raised as we are, being surrounded as we are in this fallen world, we find even within ourselves, as Paul says in Romans 7, this, this sin thing is in there always nipping at our heel, always dragging us away to do the things we don't even want to do. And because we find ourselves living in this alien state, this foreign state, There's this, there's this other voice that talks to us. It's a hissing voice. It's a slithery voice. It's the same voice that talked to Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says, why even try? Give up. It's the voice that says, you've got no chance. So why are you even making the effort? It's the voice that counsels us to despair. 
That's always been the condition of God's people. That voice has always been attacking the ears of everyone of the people of God. And so when Peter writes his letter to these churches, these new churches that are camped out kind of on the south side of the, the Black Sea, and Pontus and Bithynia and these other places, when he writes to them, he knows exactly what's going on in their minds. They're hearing this voice that says, give up, give up. You're surrounded by a huge culture, a pagan culture, a sin-soaked culture. What chance have you got? And so Peter writes this letter, which is driving down these tent pegs of hope for the Christian life, saying this is why we never, never give up our hope. This is what our life is grounded in. This is why we will win and the world of sin will be overcome by the power of Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And that's what Peter's doing in this letter that he's writing. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of saw how he opened things up in the first 12 verses. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to that passage that we just had read a minute ago. And let's look starting in verse 13. It's also on the study sheet if you have that. Look at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The reason why the voice of despair can again and again fall on deaf ears for us is that we know how this whole story ends. CNN may tell us one story, the Bible tells us this story. Jesus Christ wins. We know what's going to happen no matter what the news, which way the news goes. Bad, good, indifferent. Jesus Christ is coming again. And we belong to him. So set your minds on that. Keep your minds in that place. Be alert. Be fully, you know, serious about this, sober about this, serious about this. Look down in verse 18. He kind of picks that theme back up, I think, in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Do you get that? What's Paul just said? On the one hand, you have all of the temptations to give up hope that the world can throw at you. Your own failures, 
the majority of the world seeming to be sold out in one way or another to corruption and sin. And on the other hand, you have this to remember. God loved you so much that he paid the price of the blood of Jesus Christ so that you could be saved. How much is your hope worth to God? How much is it worth to God to give you a hope of salvation? When I was 22, I took all the money I had to buy a ring so I could talk Yodi into marrying me. All the money I had, I worked all summer. And, and, and that was hard work. I actually sold books door to door. It was essentially 70 hour weeks. I will never ever do that kind of work again, I promise you. And I took all the money I had to give her the ring. Because I had dug myself into a deep hole with her, that's another story, and I needed to convince her that I was trustworthy. And the money I spent on that ring was a way to tell her, I really mean this. You can trust me. That's just something with, the ring ended up being gold, which Peter doesn't think very highly of in this passage. Because gold is perishable. And Peter says, if we put some value on things that are bought with silver and gold, where should our minds go when we realize what God has done for us? In order to give you hope, in order to counteract the despair that the world wants to feed into our ears, what did God decide to do? God owns everything. He could have said, here, tell you what, I will give you the Andromeda galaxy so you'll know that I'm serious about that. He could have done that. He owns the Andromeda galaxy. And that would have been a gift bigger than any possible gift anybody, any of us could ever do. But that was small potatoes to God. He took an inconceivably precious thing and in an infinitely precious thing, God's own self in the form of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in flesh, and gave the blood of Jesus Christ so that you don't give in to despair, so that you have hope. So when that slithery, hissing, whispery voice of despair gets at you, you say, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that I would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Peter reminds us of. If our hope ever wavers, we can meditate on the price God paid to give hope to us. Look at, back up in verse 14, if you would. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 17. Read that with me. As obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your life as foreigners here in reverent fear. Don't think that this world is your home. It's not. You're foreigners. You are called to be different. You are called to be holy. He uses that great refrain. If you don't know, that is like the refrain of the whole book of Leviticus. We studied that a few uh, months ago, well, years ago now, here at Wilshire. Be holy, because I, the Lord, am holy. And now, that demand from God continues to us, God's people. We are meant to be strange people, peculiar people, a different people, a set-apart and sacred people, alien to the world that is sold out and given up to sin. We are foreigners here. And he says, you don't give that up. Keep at the holiness thing. I don't care how many times you fall. Get back up one more time than you fall down. Stay holy. Stay in the holiness game. Because of the hope that you have in God. The gift of hope breathes life into our efforts to live holy lives. Look down in verse 22. I've kind of jumped around because I felt like this is the way the thoughts went. Look at down at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love each other deeply from the heart. That hissing voice of despair says, I know that the Bible says love each other, but honestly, why should you love your fellow Christians? If you sacrifice and you go out of your way to be good to your fellow Christians, what are the odds that they're actually going to sacrifice and go out of their way to be good to you? You're just going to be a chump. If you forgive and you bend over backwards to let other people have their own way and you take care of them when they're sick, if you love them, really love them, what are the odds they're going to return the favor, truly? That's that hissing voice of the serpent in the Garden of Eden saying, why try? That's the voice of despair. And the answer is you don't love thinking you're going to get paid back by your fellow Christians. You love because of who has loved you to start with. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that you would not perish but have everlasting life. You have not been bought with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. 
That's what God paid for you. And that's why you love. If nobody in this church ever notices one single thing you do, it is still love well spent, the love you give. That's the facts. The gift of hope warms our hearts to love each other, Peter tells us. Look down in the next verses, 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The world is captivated by so many forms of sin and, and, and the fall is all around us. It's a world that takes the blessings of a good God and so often turns it for evil purposes. And it's, it does tempt us to despair again and again and again. And one of the ways that the voice of despair tempts the world is to point to the fact of death. You only live once. Your life is passing you by. You can't afford to give up a chance you have at pleasure, a chance you have to grab a little bit of enjoyment you may never get this chance again. And if you have to lie a little bit, if you have to break your commitments a little bit, if you have to hurt your future health a little bit, so be it. You only live the one time and your life will be over soon. One of the great, great sources of sin and despair in this world. And Peter says, meditate on this. You, people of God, have been preached to by the imperishable word of God. You are imperishable. Because that imperishable word makes you imperishable. Now, it's kind of a convoluted idea, but he says... How did you become a Christian? You became a Christian because you believed the gospel. You believed the good news. And you said, yes, I will trust Jesus Christ. I will give him my life. I will put my life in his hands. And that faith in Jesus Christ and the commitment that you have given to Jesus Christ Sealed by your willingness to die in the waters of baptism and be raised in this new life that he has given you, that is as imperishable as the word of God. It cannot ever fully die. You may go through physical death if Jesus doesn't come back quickly, but you can't die. You are imperishable. That's what Peter says. And so 
the high part of your mind, the high part of your heart, the part of your heart that says it is worth it to do what's good, it is worth it to do what's loving, it is worth it to forgive, it is worth it to restrain my anger and to restrain my violence and to work, 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 even when no one else seems to be doing so, to bring about some of God's will in this world. It is worth it. That is correct because you will live forever. To make that point, Peter quotes from that same famous passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 40, that starts with comfort, comfort my people. He's quoting just a few verses down from there, verses 6 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 40. Those words that he says, cry out, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. That's what Peter's quoting. And any time in the Bible when you see somebody quoting... It's good practice to go back to the original verses and maybe look at the context a little bit because that's the only way they had to give you book, chapter, and verse. And when we go back there, we realize Peter means for us to know what that passage is about. He says, God has made you to be an imperishable species, an imperishable creature by his imperishable unfailing word of God. He says you will live. It doesn't matter what the hissing voice of despair says. You're going to live. And that passage, Isaiah 40, continues on with beautiful assurances. Let me read just the ending of that section, down in verse 25 of Isaiah 40. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Lord? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Then down in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Brothers and sisters, in a world full of despair, God means you to live as a beacon of hope. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your imperishable word of God, which has made it possible for us to live forever. Thank you so much for the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which has purified us 
and made us ready to receive the kingdom of heaven. God, thank you so much for your love shown to us that warms us to love each other. God, thank you so much for your holiness and give us strength day by day to walk in your holiness. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need prayers or help, or if there's anything else that we as a church can do for you, or if today is the day that you want to begin your walk with Jesus by putting him on in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.